Argue the Toss from GameIndustry.com. I'm Shella. And I'm Drew, and together we're arguing about the things that really matter in games and films and stuff. Indeed we are, and this is Season 4, Episode 7. Yeah, and uh, it's films... Well, it's kind of... it, it, it's a little bit cross-media today, because we've got one game, one film about a game, but we're actually looking at three films, uh, yeah. which we have seen recently, so this is kind of a film roundup episode. Uh, yeah. So we're going to be talking about uh, A Wrinkle in Time, which we went to see on Saturday, was it? Yeah. Uh, the... We're also going to be talking about Annihilation, which we both kind of saw separately because that's not getting a theatrical release over here. It went straight to Netflix. Mm -hmm. And uh, then Tomb Raider, which we went to see, I think, was it the previous Saturday or sometime? Yeah, Yeah. something. Yeah, the week before that. Yeah. Yeah. So three, three, uh, quite, not, yeah, quite diversely sort of genred films. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, definitely Diverse in tone. Yes. And uh, intended audience, perhaps even, with A Wrinkle in Time. Yes. Um, so we're going to start with A Wrinkle in Time, mm-hmm. um, which is the Ava DuVernay-directed uh, film. So making Ava DuVernay the uh, first woman of colour to direct a film with a budget of over $100 million. Yes, I read this. Yeah, so which is kind of sad, which is great and sad <laughs> at the same time. But there we go. <laughs> but yeah. uh, then I suppose a white woman's only reached that milestone with Wonder Woman last year. Fair enough, yeah. So <laughs> that's a very sort of tarnished silver lining, really, isn't it? Right, uh, it yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, sort of sad indictment of the yeah. film industry more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's based on... Because as British people, we are not uh, very familiar with A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, it's a classic children's uh, book, which is on lots of school syllabuses and things like this. Uh, but it's not over here. It's not something that's part of people's childhood over here. No. Um, you know, like, I don't know, Watership Down might be or something. I don't know mm-hmm. what the equivalent would be. Narnia, maybe. Yeah. Um, I'd certainly never heard of it until, like, not before the film. I, I knew of it before the film, but, like, only in the last couple of years through, like, mentions. Yeah, mm-hmm. see, I hadn't really heard. I think maybe it had been, because it sounds like a familiar title, mm. um, but, yeah, I had, didn't know anything about it or, yeah, that it was a children's book. So I think in America it's a much-loved children's book, mm-hmm. and over here it's a pretty much fairly unknown children's book. Yeah. So um, so we're coming to it from that perspective. Yes. <laughs> uh, so it is the story of a girl called Meg, whose parents are both uh, scientists, uh, physicists, um, and they discover a way to kind of wrinkle time mm-hmm. and travel to different parts of the universe. Although notably there's no there's no actual time travel involved. I don't, like it could be called a wrinkle in space just as easily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh they discover this thing and the father has been missing for 
you don't know how long actually is it four years it's like the four year anniversary yeah no yes it is specifically because yeah. the news picks it up for some reason uh, that yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like massive news that yes. this, that this uh, scientist is still missing and um i suppose he's presumed dead kind of yeah i think well, actually, it's weird because some people presume that he's just run off with another woman. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's sort of shrouded in mystery, his disappearance, because I suppose people don't believe he's disappeared off to another, the other side of the universe. Yeah. They're thinking up more rational explanations for why yeah. he's disappeared. So Meg is, um, she's kind of got low self-esteem. Um, because people are always gossiping about how her father left her and, you know, and what that implies for her relationship with her father mm. and all these things. And she's also got this reputation as being a troublemaker, but for no real reason. Yeah, we were talking about this after the film, is that, like, we're, we're told that she's a troublemaker. She has called into the principal's office and said, oh, you can't use your father's disappearance as an excuse to act out all the time. But we haven't seen her act out at all. We've just seen her do one thing, which in context was perfectly valid and justified. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she's bullied um, by people, and uh, she's kind of shy and, mm. you know, sh sort of shy and clever, <laughs> yeah. sort of, the sort of, like, nerdy, clever girl who doesn't fit in kind mm. of thing. Yeah. Um, and she has a little brother who's, like, a smart Alec. <laughs> yeah, like, sort of supernaturally smart in, in the beginning. And yeah. it's, kind of, it's kind of implied that he is, like even more than that it's it, it's it's weird because it is not sort of panned it that does not play out in the rest of the film but at the beginning of the film it's like oh he might not even be her little brother he might be some kind of you know magical yeah yeah he, he's referred to as one of the greatest minds in the universe so you think oh is he just like disguising himself as a child or something and yeah but yeah that, he's not he's just kind of smart in ways that the plot does not go into yeah yeah so um so he seems to sort of have keyed into this magical world mm. um so that when these kind of beings start appearing these magical so i don't know like sort of goddesses or yeah. sort of spirits of the universe or yep. whatever sort of gaia type type figures mm. in the form of reese witherspoon oprah winfrey and i'm not familiar with the other actress mindy kaling okay yeah. um so reese witherspoon i think is the first one to pop up and he seems to know know them all and be familiar yeah. with them um and uh uh, yeah, which is kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, you kind of put it away to because he's the youngest that children are yeah. supposed to be able to be in touch with these sort of spirits or whatever the spirit world or whatever. Um, so I kind of put it down to that. Um, yeah. And yeah, then they explain that they've heard a cry from her father across the other side of the universe, and that they they couldn't go toward where the cry came from so they followed its destination mm -hmm. and that's how they were led to meg and then they embark on a adventure to go and rescue her father yes uh, the other main character is calvin oh yeah who's almost forgot him the cute guy <laughs> he's the cute guy at school who's in love with meg um but he's like He's like the popular kind of kid, you mm -hmm. know, he's like the sort of standard 
popular kind of blue-eyed pretty high school kind of guy isn't he but and he's in he's in love with meg the outsider and again i don't yeah i don't want to keep just jumping into like the plot recap with criticisms but i, I want to point out that we are told that we are not shown it in any way that he like he, i don't think he ever interacts with anybody else on the screen apart from meg and charles wallace we don't see him at school being cool or anything he's just kind of there yeah he just kind of it is weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird. He, he's introduced into the story just out of nowhere as well. He kind of just turns up and then he's along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is fine, like, but it's odd. Yeah. He Well, he literally says, I don't know why I'm here. I just felt like I needed to be yeah, here. He does, yeah. And there are just a lot of things like that where magic seems to make things happen for mm. the convenience of the story as yeah. opposed to thinking of a, an interesting way to make those things necessary for those characters and um i did go back and read the wikipedia plot uh Mm. synopsis for the book because not being familiar with the book i didn't know how much of how many of these narrative flaws were to do with the film or to do with the fact that the film was trying to stay true to this much loved book Mm. and you know that they felt they couldn't change because it would change it too much for all the people who are invested in their childhoods in this story and yeah it pretty much was the plot of the film it is to to be fair that in interviews i've read that um with ava duvernay uh she uh they said that it had been previously considered unfilmable like, um, yeah. and I can imagine that there is a lot more in the book that couldn't translate to the screen. And I think um, the stuff that they have translated to the screen here is, I mean, it kind of, like, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's, like, one of the best possible adaptations you could do of whatever the source material is, but there, there were multiple points throughout the film where I thought, okay, this is clearly trying to depict a scene in the book that was described well, but doesn't really translate to actual visuals. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, th- I mean, what I said when we came out of the film is I have a feeling, not knowing this book, I have a mm. feeling it's like America's Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. um, which is a book that everybody, yes, including Tim Burton, fails to put onto screen. <laughs> yeah. um, it just doesn't work because yeah. it's, you know, this sort of like t- hugely whimsical kind mm-hmm. of just a story that you travel along through a book and on a film you're expecting you know sort of we're 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 schooled in three-act structure when we're watching films we expect you know sort of certain pace and things to happen for reasons as Mm. opposed to just because it's whimsy and now there's a teapot and a disappearing cat (laughs) yeah um so i yeah Sorry. <laughs> so I had a, I had that feeling that they've t- picked a book that is probably really hard to mm. make sense of on film, but maybe yeah. somehow carries you along yeah. uh, in a book. Because certainly with Alice in Wonderland, the the whimsical stuff is there, but like the the real meat of it is what it sort of paints like philosophically and mentally, and the and the strange sort of. Uh, well, it, in the case of Alice in Wonderland, it's more kind of mathematical and logical stuff. But it's mm-hmm. it's about sort of reading along with it and then just having these weird ideas play in your brain that stick with you afterwards. Exactly. And you, in a film, you can't do that because as soon as you start doing that, you're dragged along to the next scene. It's not really the perfect medium for doing it. So you, no. can, ima- you can see why Alice in Wonderland is difficult to film. And I imagine that there's a similar thing going on here. Because it did yeah. seem like a very philosophical film, but there wasn't just wasn't much time to explore what that was. 
No, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the main <laughs> the main thing is it just seemed like a bunch of really pretty scenes mm. that sort of, it's like, oh, so now we're like, oh, now Reese Witherspoon's like in a beautiful dress in our garden. Mm. Now we're traveling through the sort of wrinkle and now we're on a planet and the planet's really beautiful. And now there are talking flowers and we're standing around going, yeah. ooh and ah. And then it's like, oh, we're in a new scene that's really pretty and mm. like has wow and, and stuff. And yeah, so it was just this bunch of scenes that and some elements of it seemed really interesting there was the scene like in this weird 50s suburbia which was really menacing with children just mm -hmm. bouncing a ball in unison and it's just like this really loud rhythmic kind of spooky um uh, sort of stepford wives feel to it yeah. and i i was waiting for things to happen for some some consequence of them walking in and obviously being outsiders in this world that is so structured and yeah. regimented but actually nothing happened no no it, it was that was a really sort of strange like, and kind of disappointing closure to that scene it, because it's sort of the classic kind of children's adventure thing is you know like the witch offers you an apple or whatever they mm -hmm. offer you food they offer you comfort and yeah. if you accept it then you're that you know yeah. you pay the price for it yeah with that they say uh they the, the witch offers comfort and they just kind of say no and then she's like oh okay then well take Bye. care yeah. <laughs> yeah it is yeah and so yeah because she offers them food and then yeah. calvin's like well i am hungry and she said mm -hmm. cakes and then <laughs> and then they just walk onto a beach scene which yeah. again is a really cool scene and mm. you know this kind of dreamlike uh, sort of frustration of not being able to get through the crowds and everything and you know being offered food which is once again obviously sort of magical and only some people are realizing it whilst other yeah. characters aren't but it doesn't really come to that much again no it and it's again it's kind of weird after the previous scene because it just kind of does the same thing again there is this exactly. interesting guy who like again literally offers them some food and this time they take the food and i don't know why they've changed their minds after the previous mm -hmm. scene but even charles wallace like the um, the smartest kid in the universe is like okay <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll eat this weird sandwich or whatever it yeah. is and, yeah uh, like he takes the first bite and it tastes like like yeah, this isn't a spoiler or anything. It tastes like sand to him. And then he goes for another bite of another sandwich to see if that also tastes like sand. And it's just kind mm. of... He's not actually as smart as the film has been telling us he is. Uh, it's just yeah. Yeah, kind of a weird scene. But but Meg doesn't eat the food. Mm -hmm. um, so she's obviously suspicious, which is also supposed supposedly one of her flaws. Yeah. Um, you know, she's set up to have these flaws and be sort of reticent and, you know, always pulling him back and, you know, not trusting things. Um, but she doesn't do anything about it. She doesn't knock the sandwich out of his hand. No. And then when he starts standing up and walking away with the stranger, yeah. she her reactions are so slow that it's like, well, actually, she's not reticent and untrusting at all and suspicious no. of things because she just lets him up and walk off. Yeah. And then suddenly is like, oh, we've got to run after him now that he's walked away. Yeah. 
So. And so of nothing different. Uh, so she doesn't eat the food. Calvin does eat the food, and nothing different happens to either. Like there's no difference in what happens to them. They both kind of go off after the. So that she's not rewarded for being suspicious. He is not punished for just eating the food. Mm-hmm. And it, when Charles Wallace is taken, it's not like directly because he ate the food or anything. It's it's something completely different. It's just a really thematically weird scene where you're not quite sure with it what they're trying to go for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then um, I suppose the the ending is <laughs> the, the 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 sort of boss battle, I suppose you yeah. call it, because yeah. So the 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 big evil in this is called it, it. Um, which is changed from the book where it was called the black the black thing. thing yeah. 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 I... Yeah. So evil is black. I mm-hmm. think. Uh, Duvernay was never going to go with that one yeah they give it the name of the planet instead which I can't remember what it is it's something like Kalamazoo or something yeah Uh, it is uh, something like that yeah yeah, so in the book, I think it's just a brain in a room or something. So they had to mm. kind of visualize it as this sort of like black, sort of swirly cave place. Yeah. Um, which is fine. That's fair enough. Um, but the w- way she defeats it is just by saying she loves her brother. Yeah, it's, a it's lot. the power of love. And uh, yeah. Yeah. It's- like okay, this is a children's book from the nineteen sixties or whatever it was. That, yeah, it's kind of fine, but it just uh, it does play as a bit cliched and old in this one. Uh, yeah. To be fair, I yeah. thought that I thought that scene was visually really interesting because it's all like they they're standing on like giant neurons and it, like mm-hmm. they're inside a brain. You can see the electrical stuff firing back and forth. It's a bit like that Futurama episode where they do kind of the same thing in Fry's brain. Um, and it's yeah, it's just like sort of very visually gorgeous, but not much substance to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something you could say of quite a lot of the scenes in this film. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's a bit of a shame because um, yeah, obviously had this sort of really ambitious project. Um, mm. um, but having said that, even though there was this kind of emptiness in the narrative, yeah, um. I was really moved by parts of the film. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the 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 girl is biracial and her father is missing, and that really chimed with me. So, mm-hmm. sort of as a, a a biracial child of an estranged father, it just um, it surprised me how. Uh, yeah, I cried basically. Like mm-hmm. I think it was like the very first scene with her and her dad just like brought me to tears, uh, and I wasn't really ready for that because I guess I was. I'd never seen that. I'd never seen myself on film like represented so so much. Um, so yeah, I yeah I was really moved by it in, in places, and then also the uh, the bit where uh, Calvin the blue eyed white all-american boy says to the black girl that he likes her hair um was also just i mean that is just a monumental moment because mm. uh that is not something that society says to us about our hair <laughs> it tells us to use this product to remove frizz because frizz is evil yeah. and <laughs> and ugly and everything that everybody even white women don't want frizz so <laughs> uh so uh, yeah, so there were moments in that film, and I think it is an important film in those terms. Um, and you know, it's a shame that it's got a lot of weight on its shoulders. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because 
it is a black woman um uh directing a very diverse cast and it's you know a black girl as uh, as a heroic lead um leading a white boy mm-hmm. and um uh i know ava duvernay said that you know the key moment for her is when she says to him do you trust me mm. and then he says yes i trust you and she says you know that is the linchpin of the film for her so um yeah there's a lot of kind of heart behind what she was doing and um so yeah it's a shame that it just didn't quite she didn't quite pull it yeah. off like, it I seemed think, like a difficult project yeah like it, it's a really kind of it's, it's a great attempt at doing it but i just don't think mm-hmm. in the end it works and i think it probably like without without having read the book i am you know basically talking about my uh, t- talking out my ass um but uh, not talking about my ass uh, <laughs> that's, that's next week's podcast um um but yeah i can imagine that this works much better as a book and yeah is not su- is not suited to it's just kind of naturally not suited to be adapted to the screen yeah, yeah. So yeah, it good, is a shame. Good try. Yeah, yeah, it is because I liked uh, a lot of the things in it. Mm. Oprah was just perfect. <laughs> she was just wise. She is like this sort of Gaia kind of figure. Yeah. Uh, she's brilliant. Like those three are kind of my favorite characters in the film. I think yeah. they, they were the certainly the most interesting. Uh, Mindy Kaling, particularly, uh, I thought her character was great in that she only speaks through quoting other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least she does for like the first half of the film, and then there's a later on it's contrived that she doesn't for a while, and then that's just that yeah. just happens. There's, there's yeah. no real point to it. It just happens. Um, and uh, Reese Witherspoon was very sort of like yeah, she was great as well. She she was yeah. yeah. I really like Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. She's just really watchable. I find yeah, absolutely yeah. And she was great as the sort of flighty kind of. Uh, one wasn't she sort of yeah. impatient with Meg and kind of <laughs> yeah. yeah they were they were cool. all really kind of sort of like they they seemed to be doing it very effortlessly it was effortlessly funny they uh, yeah they they were just a, a tree of really great characters who worked yeah, very well together were. yeah it was it was really well cast and yeah. yeah they looked great and they just seemed like they were having fun and mm. slipped into those roles really easily it was good yeah um, the only other thing is that. Calvin is kind of surplus to requirements, and he even kind mm. of gets forgotten in the end. Yeah, he does. Um, which is kind of yeah, it's just a bit bizarre. <laughs> yeah, again, maybe he had more of a role in the book or something that wasn't as relevant to the the, the film. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it was just he he turns up out of nowhere, joins the plot, and he is just along for the ride for the whole way. And yeah. then once the plot is finished, he's no longer relevant to it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's not there for the battle, so they're yeah. not there. The three of it starts out with the three of them, yeah. but it ends with just Meg and Charles Wallace. And it's like, hey, what happened to Calvin? So did he go back already with the dad, or is he just, like, lost in the end? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, and nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. That's... So, yeah. But, yeah. um... Yeah, so that is a wrinkle in time. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us what you think, uh, especially if you've read the book and you're familiar with it. Yeah, do call us out on all the all the stuff that we've. Uh, yeah. yeah that but we in the book, it's this, and it, no, it's explained in that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We'll definitely read that and care mm-hmm. about it. 
<laughs> I mean, you might. I yeah. <laughs> so do let us know. We will read your comments yeah. and care about it. <laughs> you know, Drew, he's the grumpy one. Yeah. <laughs> what are we gonna talk about next? Uh, well, I think since that's the one we've uh, seen uh, most recently, let's just start going backwards in time to I think okay. the, the previous one we saw was Annihilation. It was indeed. Which is so. um, Alex Garland's new film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got a limited theatrical release in the US, but over in the UK it came straight to Netflix. And there has been some... Uh, Alex Garland did an interview where he expressed some dissatisfaction with that because it was made for cinema. And while he understands that you know, streaming services and TV are you know, a, a legitimate new way of doing these kind of things, when you're making... When, when you're making a film, you make it for cinema, and it was designed to be seen in cinema, and streaming is not the ideal way to uh, experience this film. And after watching it, like I really enjoyed this film, sort of, to, to spoil my verdict on this. Uh, but yeah, I really would have liked to see this in the cinema rather than uh, streaming through the internet. Yeah, because yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, it really is, and... It's beautiful in a way that the Netflix kind of streaming algorithm doesn't cover very well because it's all very multicolored and yeah, yeah, it's like an oil slick or the surface of a bubble. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Ne- Netflix video compression kind of mm, yeah, yeah doesn't doesn't do that very well. Subtlety, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it would be nice to see it in the, uh, on a big screen for yeah. sure because it's beautiful. And Alex Garland does frame his. Uh, films really yeah, well. Super it's well. one of the things I liked about uh, uh, Ex Machina. Yeah. Um, it looked freaking gorgeous. Yeah. Like, I, shame, I re- a, shame about the, the content. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, to be fair, I liked Ex Machina, but yeah, we, we've had that discussion before, I think. And yeah. Yeah, didn't we do it? No, we did an episode on that, didn't we? We did the. Did the, we? We did the robots episode where we covered uh, humans yes, Ex Machina. Yes, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so annihilation. Annihilation. Go um, so yeah, it's kind of uh, the premise of it is uh, there is this thing called the Shimmer, which is kind of an expanding force field that has appeared on Earth, uh, beginning at a certain lighthouse, and expanding outwards into this kind of surrounding territory. And military teams have been sent into it, and not come back. And now one person has come back. And um, his, uh, uh, is it, are they married? I can't remember if it's explicitly stated whether they're just together or whether they're husband and wife. I can't remember either. They're together. Yeah, they're together. And she is a scientist as well of, like, what is she? She's, like, in the books it's described, um, apparently the characters are described not by name but by their profession. So one of them is a biologist, one of them is a physicist, one of them is, and they're not given names in the book. Isn't she a biologist? Yes, I think. Yeah, no, she is. Cause she I know is, the, the other one is a physicist and an engineer, and they'd guessed that she was a biologist. Yeah. So um, she is kind of, through various means, um, recruited onto a team of scientists who are going to enter the, the Shimmer, which is threatening to engulf the Earth, and investigate it, see what it's about, and... I guess try and get rid of it uh, is kind mm. of, or just just to investigate it and see what they can do. Mm. It, yeah. So, how long has he been missing again? I think it's, it's a year. It's about a year. It's it's yeah, that sort of time, isn't it's it? It's really interesting because these three films are 
with female leads who all have uh, missing yeah. male characters. Yeah, no, that is true. Yeah, because so, yeah. I keep getting confused. I know some, one of them is seven years, and that's Tomb Raider, and I was like, is this one yeah. seven years, or is this a three-year yes, one? Yes, so one, four, and seven, so it's all three-year <laughs> gaps, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, and so did you say that he came back, Oscar uh, Isaac? Yes, back, he does. He, he comes back. spit up blood. <laughs> yeah, like he, and he was very disjointed and didn't seem to know where he was, spit up blood, and then was abducted to this military facility called uh, the Southern Reach uh, which is, I think it's called, I think that's what it's called, it's something along those lines, uh, where he is being investigated as one of the only, well, the only person who's come back from the Shimmer, and she's mm -hmm. there along with him, and she kind of signs up to be on the team that is next going into the Shimmer, which is a team of five female scientists, and uh, the, the shot where they're about to go uh, into the Shimmer, and they're all holding guns, and they all have backpacks on, and they look like the uh, the new Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. They re like it's a really sort of just instantly. That's what I took out of that. Um, uh, and yeah, the it's also told in flashback. It's uh, yes, it's much a, all flashback, isn't it? Yeah, there's a framing device where mm -hmm. um, she uh, like has returned. Yeah, she has returned from the Shimmer, and uh, that's the framing device. They are talking to her and interviewing her about what happened in there. So mm -hmm. it it kind of spoil it. It it's not interested in like keeping any mystery to the plot. It spoils up front who lives and who dies. Yeah. Uh, like it lists them. Um, yeah. So it's like a sort of how done it. Or yes. Yeah. It, it's a spiritual sequel to Columbo, is what it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I I think this is, that that's the only time you'll ever hear Annihilation described in that. But or yeah, if you want to elevate it, Crime and Punishment. Yeah, okay. I, I haven't read C Crime and Punishment. I have seen okay. a lot of Columbus. <laughs> um, so, so. Um, yeah, and uh, that's the kind of structure of the, the second two acts of the film, is that they go into the Shimmer and investigate what happened. And once they get in, it's like really interesting and strangely... It, mm -hmm. Not strangely filmed, but very interestingly filmed. It's all done in at least at the beginning, it, you're kind of set in a forest and you get the sense that the light isn't refracting right or the spectrum is oh, a kind yeah. of different colour. It's so cool. Yeah, and it's all done with this really interesting kind of shallow focus so you can't quite see what's going on at the edges of the screen. And it does a really interesting job making something that's generally quite... Like, it's just a forest. It's pretty normal, but it makes it seem very alien and very otherworldly in in very subtle and interesting ways just like really magical yeah it's, all, it's it's like i suppose in the true sense of fairy tale mm -hmm. it's magical and beautiful but kind of eerie as yeah. well um because yeah because it's kind of framed as this thing where people don't come back and he spit up mm -hmm. blood you're like wow this is beautiful but it's beautiful like a venus flytrap is beautiful yeah <laughs> and it yeah it it uses even early on, before you kind of find out what goes on in the Shimmer, it's using the language of, like, horror films and abduction films. Mm -hmm. the, the characters lose time. They don't quite yeah. know where they are. Their, their compasses don't work. So it's very mysterious, very kind of scary and worrying. Mm -hmm. And then they yeah. decide, even though they can't remember what's happened in the last two days, they've just arrived at a camp, which they have clearly set up. Um, they decide, okay, well, the only thing we can do now is press on and just go, go deeper and deeper into the into the heart of this thing. Yeah, and yeah. As, as they do, the kind of scariness factor starts to... The, the dial starts to get turned up. Yeah, yeah. Although, 
Although it never quite goes as far as a horror film, does it? It's more of. I I, th- I think it I think it's at least uh, it 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 wants to at least I think it is trying to present itself as something that is vaguely horrific. What I what I thought about it was that it kind of tried to juggle a lot of different horror concepts mm-hmm. and didn't quite do focus on any of them enough to make it really scary. So there's there's a it's part monster movie because there is kind of there there are multiple different monsters who attack. Uh, yeah. But there's also a lot of kind of Cronenbergian body horror in it. Uh, I mean, for me, it was just visually. I think he'd borrowed a lot from The Last of Us. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, definitely. It was, yeah. I mean, sort of abandoned swings, and mm. you know, the sort of sense of abandonment and things. Uh, you know, the sort of uh, the foliage that had grown back over houses and yeah. things like that when they're in sort of buildings and walking through empty streets. Mm and um stuff like that and even be the fact that there are these sort of uh sort of fungal growths yeah. everywhere i was like wow that is the last of us yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um and i know that he does really i think there's some article somewhere that i came across um of him really loving mm-hmm. that game so yeah. um like yeah the, the the fungus stuff in particular is very like very evocative of the stuff you see like people that like against the walls in um, yeah, in the Last of, of Us, like just yeah. encased in spores and fungus. In growth, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but they they even even the fungus was beautiful though mm. in the way that like a stalactite might be. Yeah. Um, you had sort of beautiful colours like muted mustards and sort of mm. purples and things like that. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. It was just beautiful to look at. Mm. More beautiful than any horror film yeah i mean I've ever seen. <laughs> like yeah it, it's yeah i think it does it better yeah it, it does this really sort of strange beautiful terrifying it, yeah, yeah beautiful terrifying is a is a good like beautiful slash terrifying is a good way of doing it um but like it's something that's you know kind of in all the best monster movies there are there are elements of it in alien there are even elements of it in like the thing which i think uh some of this film took a lot from um yeah both of those yeah. for sure yeah. and yeah and well the or- the original thing uh the original black and white one mm. influenced alien which you know sort yeah it's <laughs> the john carpenter version um yeah so yeah visually visually the film was absolutely st- sort of stunning from start to finish it like i thought it did uh, there, there is a bit later on in the film where there is a CGI effect which I wasn't mm. massively convinced by, and it's the it's the silver the, f- the figure yeah the mm. figure yeah um, which is quite strange and just looked a little bit fake and out of place. I thought that scene was still very good. I th- I, I liked mm. that monster. I thought there was a lot of potential for that to be uh, kind of silly and kind of mm-hmm. the the problem with films like these and films like. Um, Event Horizon and the Cloverfield Paradox and Sphere, where something weird happens with the universe on a kind of fundamental level, is that they tend to de- degenerate towards the end into nonsense. Like, just things things happen for the sake of happening, and it's just kind of waving your hands at the camera and going, ooh, isn't it weird? Isn't it spooky? And <laughs> yeah. this film, I think, kind of does that as well throughout, but it's done with, like, such confidence and conviction that you don't really mind it. It takes you from um, 
one weird thing happening to the next weird thing happening, and it just kind of encloses that in one scene and then moves on to the next weird thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's... I, I don't know why that made it work for me where other films, like, for example, The Cloverfield Paradox, which was also released on Netflix recently, and I watched mm. that, and it's kind I of... I haven't watched that. I've heard bad things. I didn't hate it as much as everyone else seemed to hate it, but it oh, is okay. definitely a flawed film. Right. And I like uh, watch them. Yeah, it, it, it has that thing where just kind of a dimensional whatever happens, and then weird things start happening because of that, but there is no real reason or logic to them. And it doesn't hold together as well as Annihilation yeah, does. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing Annihilation had, um, which I'm guessing just comes from the source material, because mm -hmm. people wax lyrical about the source material, yeah. um, say it's really brilliant. Um, so I'll have to give them a read. There's a writer, a friend of mine, who said... He's like, I wish I could have written... You just read it and just kind of weep. Yeah. yeah, that it's like really interesting, just the writing itself. So, um, And it just had a really good reason um, why the things was happening. You know, I just liked yeah. uh, the kind of... The sci-fi behind the reasons, basically. Yeah. And that's why it hung together for me. It just worked. Yeah. Um, and she was a cool character like all the characters are re really great and yeah yeah, yeah um, that's the other thing one was... where you were like oh i'm glad she's dead because no. yeah they were all like even even, all even the well. even the, the one who's kind of set up to be not the villain but you can see it, she's the one who's going to going to become a villain uh like kind mm -hmm. of right from the off she is sympathetic and you're kind of on board mm -hmm. with her even though she is unfriendly and she's not she's not warm at all to the rest of the team yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so that's Annihilation. We yeah. liked it. Really enjoyed what that. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, yeah, I really liked it too. Although lots of people haven't, but there we yeah. go. Yeah. Apparently a lot. No, apparently fans of the book did not like it because it takes quite a lot of liberties with what happens in the book and changes things up for. Uh, what they say is the worst. Not having read the book, I can't comment and, you know, can mm -hmm. only judge the film on its own merits. But it was... Um, Alex Garland has said in interviews that they... Even though he knew there were two more books coming out, he decided to just film the one... The, mm -hmm. the, the first book as its own and not planning to make any sequels. Which is fair enough. And he wanted to yeah. make a good film. And yes, exactly. I think he did. And whether, you know, six... You know, it's like the, it's the, the, the decision that... Garland and Duvernay had to make, isn't it? Right? They've yeah. got these sort of much loved books and they have to make a film that works. And, um, yeah. you know, so. So yeah, so, uh, we can we can compare we can compare the two of them on that mirror. I thought I think Annihilation is much more successful an adaptation of a book I haven't read than A Wrinkle in Time is an adaptation of another book I haven't read. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sounds yeah. like one is an easier book to yeah. adapt. To be fair, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider which is an adaptation of, of a game, game. we yeah. both played. Yes, so, so yeah, we're on good ground. <laughs> we're on firm ground at last, dear listeners. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so Tomb Raider was interesting. I thought. Yeah, like, I thought. So it, it pretty much, for those 
Um, I suppose we're going to assume that you are familiar with the Tomb Raider reboot, the latest reboot, yeah. uh, which is young Lara on the on the island in Japan, and the film pretty much follows. Uh, well, it takes its lead from that game yeah. in terms of the the story and Himiko, the Japanese goddess, and um, that's the whole sort of like yeah. Uh, and the sort of missing father and following in his footsteps and all that thing and being stuck on the island type mm-hmm. thing. Uh, yeah, it's a really... Like, I would describe it as a very, very loose adaptation of yeah. the first game of the reboot. And I stress the word loose because it kind of just takes the main takes elements the of setting, it. Yeah, yeah, it takes the setting and it takes... The goddess it, yeah. and the father story. Yeah. But the rest of it is kind of changed up. Um, uh-huh. She has a... A kind of different backstory in this one where she is her father went missing seven years ago after four in uh wrinkling time and one yeah um and uh she has kind of refused to sign the inheritance papers that would give her access to his fortune because she refuses to believe he's dead which is not not kind of not something that comes up in the in the game so much where she it, it's suggested that she's kind of just doing she's she's kind of on her gap year and doing archaeology in the in the first game as i recall mm-hmm. it's not yeah. specifically that but that that feels like what it is yeah, um so for the film they've obviously felt that she wasn't relatable to no. like in my in my column or a, a column review of it for gamestreet.com and i was like yeah. you know just make it relent r- her relatable to generation rent yeah they have they couldn't have just like this rich posh british no, it's a... going around treasure hunting no. so uh yeah they've convoluted this way for her to deny her own inheritance yeah which is to not betray her father or whatever yeah like so in the beginning we get sort of half an hour of kind of this sad where she's living in london she's working as a bike courier rather than being you know mm. the, the lady um, croft she's living in shoreditch which is like yeah. you know like hipster central of London so yeah. like nobody who denied their inheritance would be able to afford yeah. to live in Shoreditch no, <laughs> on uh, yeah. Courier's wage so it's still fantasy yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah she, yeah she is still like she didn't she rejects the inheritance but she still lives with a lot of its privilege and that c- kind of yeah. comes through in like in the film throughout and it's just a little bit sort of yeah yeah it silly. doesn't. Yeah, silly doesn't quite work. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, uh, so, so what is it? Uh, like at the beginning of the, at the end of the sort of first act, she starts um, tracking down what her father was doing as when he disappeared, and mm-hmm. she finds his secret kind of. Uh, it's not a lab. It's a his secret office. Which, yeah, it's like his sort of hideout. Yeah, yeah it, it's... Uh, secret man cave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, for reasons which I'm sure aren't creepy at all, he's put in the mausoleum. <laughs> yeah. Because he wants to be Batman so yeah. bad. And uh, she finds all his research, and of course she decides to go after him and seek out what, you know, what he was seeking out, mm-hmm. and uh, follow him to the mysterious island, which he found and disappeared on. Yeah. And yeah. so and then he leaves the video saying, Don't <laughs> yeah. don't follow me and for goodness yeah. sake, set yeah. fire to all of my research and this tape and everything because otherwise 
bad people will know what I know and it'll be terrible. Yeah. So she ignores that completely. Yeah, he's not very good at, he's not very convincing about it either. Like even in the video he like promises like that it's it's gonna be really interesting what's in this box here. He said, Oh just don't look at it. Whatever you do <laughs> Like you don't wanna know what's in the box underneath this tape. <laughs> just immediately chuck it into the fire. And I don't know why he'd leave that command to his daughter after he disappeared. But yeah. Yeah, obviously she doesn't, and she starts. Go- she goes on her little globe-trotting adventure to find out. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and goes. takes said documents to the bad people. Yes, she does. Rather, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, you know, you could take photos of them, leave them in an encrypted thing on your phone, but no, she takes the diary or or whatever it is. She takes all the documents and just yeah. lands on the island with them in her backpack. It's just. Yep. Yeah, yeah it's a gift. Yeah. Gift to bad people. Mm-hmm. Um, so the characters, um, I suppose the character from the game is Matthias. He was in the in the game as well. Yeah. He was the sort of like mad doctor mm-hmm. um, who'd kind of gone stir crazy from being alone on the island with yeah. his th- thoughts, which is kind of what they say about him. Except <laughs> the scene when he's saying, you know, I've been alone for so long. Yeah. There's all this chit chat like yeah. ruckus outside because yeah. he's got these like Japanese slaves like chipping away at rocks and stuff. It's like, why don't you just learn Japanese or yeah. teach them English or something? Yeah. <laughs> it was quite hilarious. Yeah. I've been alone for so long and there's all this like... Oh, just, just in the middle of one of the most populated regions that we've seen in the film yeah Yeah, exactly but um so yeah he just does lots of sweating and uh evil but not particularly evil really he's just sort of yeah a bespectacled sort of indiana jones type bad really and i like i think the the second half of the film really is it it, it's kind of an amalgamation of all of the Indiana Jones films in, in what it's kind of directly doing. And I th- like that is sort of the origin of Tomb Raider anyway. So, you know, you can't blame it for going to that well, but it goes to that well a lot, that well of souls a lot. Indiana Jones reference for you there. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, no, there is actually a thing in the, uh, the there is a chasm of souls in the, in the film as well. So, yeah, I'm not the first one to make that reference. Um, no, yeah. Anyway. It does. It goes there a lot, considering the game had its own thing, which it could have lifted. Yes. It was just bizarre that it just went to Indiana Jones when the game had perfectly good scenes they could have yeah, used. Yeah, absolutely. Because there was this sort of like beautiful Japanese temple that was set on fire, and like there's loads of cool stuff yeah. in that game. But instead, you've got the sort of race of slaves which is temple of doom uh, then you've got them they're the kind of last crusade like go- gauntlet thing. of traps that they enter to get oh, to the yeah. yeah and uh yeah it's it's uh and a sort of the estranged father thing is another thing that last crusade does well granted yeah. in a slightly different context or mm-hmm. although not really like she still kind of has her grail diary doesn't she she has the the book yeah. which she's following yeah. So yeah. Uh, so uh, and what's kind of I'm dis- just getting. Sorry, I've just yeah, got I'm just to what, yeah. interrupt because <laughs> I'm being distracted. My neighbour is setting out. I guess they might be fiberglass flamingos. <laughs> <in that garden. laughs> amazing. <laughs> sorry to interrupt, but <laughs> I just thought that was amazing. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Anyway, back to Lara yeah. Croft. Yeah, so what was like kind of disappointing was that the, the part where it is... Uh, take, you know, sort of directly doing Indiana Jones. They're kind of the most interesting parts of the film because, like, I that you've got all of this origin story stuff, uh, which is the first act, and mm-hmm. all I can, re- all I was thinking about through that was uh, the game does this in one cutscene, basically. Well, one or two cutscenes. It establishes her character. It establishes why she's here, what she's doing, and it's kind of more interesting than the entire first act of the film. Like it could, we could have started with her on the boat, and spent some more time on the island, and I think that would like not to say that there aren't some really yeah. great scenes in the opening. The bike chase scene is really good and it is. a, really a lot good. of fun, but narratively it's just kind of extra fluff. It is. It's just surplus because like we don't need a, a a Lara Croft origin no movie that starts right from the beginning because we've had two Lara Croft films so we know like what she becomes yeah. we just want to know where she is now yeah they could have just started it with her like picking up the inheritance or whatever or not picking it up or whatever yeah. it is she does and like, getting the the video recording yeah we don't like uh, and again Indiana Jones held off on that until the fir- the third film like they un- mm. like those two first two films understood that we knew the premise of the character from the off from exactly. something they showed we us we get it yeah exactly <laughs> yeah I mean yeah so we've had two Lara Croft films and then um, mm-hmm. seen Indiana Jones films we know this character <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well, nobody is turning up to Tomb Raider not knowing vaguely what it's about Exactly, yeah. and if they are, it's pretty like clear pretty early on without having an origin mm-hmm. story. It's not like there's some complex kind of sci-fi powers or something. No, she's just a woman who goes around the world like nicking stuff from other cultures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, wasn't that the box quote on the on the first Tomb Raider game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but but the the real. Uh, reason that I'm annoyed with the the beginning bit is that the fact that they cut down the boat scene mm-hmm. which is because I think he was a great character yeah. Lou Ren was like a cool character and they had a real sort of chemistry um, that I really enjoyed and I wanted more boat time mm-hmm. um, but he he's basically just a taxi driver who then does nothing for the rest of the yeah. film <laughs> yeah he's another Calvin isn't he he's, uh... yeah he is <laughs> like, yeah. to the point where like kind of at the end where they're like at the climax where she's like deep in the heart of this horrible tomb he's escaping with the rest of the the enslaved people and he decides to turn back and help and mm-hmm. then that's it. He doesn't actually help. He just... Do anything. No, he kind of stands outside the tomb and waits for her to come out. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, moves a rock or gives yeah. her his hand and pulls her out and that's yeah. it. Yeah, he's completely wasted because he's really charismatic yeah, he actor. Is. And, um, yeah, that's, like, a great start. He's the drunken boat captain. He's kind of, you mm. know, sort of Han Solo to her Luke. Yeah. And it could have been great. Yeah, um, it, it could have been a beautiful it. friendship, but no. And after t- after they sort of took the setting and they took the the basic plot from the game, that was the thing that I was most disappointed that they didn't carry over was that she has a team in that game. She, there are yeah. four. Of, there's an ensemble cast of characters who are mm-hmm. that in the game they are kind of stock characters. They could have been mm-hmm. done better, but like mm-hmm. they're ju- it's just not bothered with at all in this one. It's just mm-hmm. her and him who's not really in the film and the bad guys. Mhm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a shame. But having said that, I do think it's 
probably the best uh, game to film. Yeah, like, it is, and that's really disappointing, because I still don't think it's very good. There is still yeah. not a good vi- uh, film of a video game. They're like, no, yeah. I've, I've said that a bunch of times, that that is my swarm position, is that there are no good video game I films. Think, yeah, I don't know anyone who would really fight you on that no. one. Um, <laughs> like, but it's, but um, th- this yeah. is one of the best ones, and I think primarily it's because of... Um, this Alicia new character, Vikander. yeah, Alicia Vikander, and this new characterization of Lara, she is yeah. she is really good and she's very watchable and yeah, you know I would yeah. watch a a series of films with her as this character, which I don't know if they're going to make now. No, um, no, because she is per- she's I mean they couldn't have cast yeah her better. They could have got someone who could speak with an English. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't um, that it does slip only, quite a lot. Yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah. Um, one day we'll get an English Lara Croft. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she looks perfect. And obviously we know that she's a brilliant actress. So, mm. um, yeah, she was absolutely spot on for that kind of, you know, quite girlish. She's, you know, that young sort of looking. And yeah. she's convincing as the strong Lara. She obviously, you know, did a lot of training yeah. for that role. Um, and yeah, they avoid the over sexualization, which Angelina yeah. Jolie's films uh, reveled in. Yeah. Um, the infamous shower scene. I um, watch that yeah. film again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 I want to say shower scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, yeah. It. It pretty much that. entirely avoids direct yeah. sexualization. There, there was one there shot which you noticed, but I didn't, where it was uh, where, a, like, it filmed down her top a little bit. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. She was like, it was just a really weird shot of she'd been stabbed in the side. And oh yeah, that, she that. was looking at it, but it looked like from it was like chin cam yeah. view. So it basically looked down her chest to her side it's like okay odd angle and also the opening scene where she's oiled and fighting in the boxing ring okay yeah there is that as well yeah um yeah i mean it was kind of the excuse was we're showing how strong and capable she is but there was a lot of lingering sort of oiled taut limbs (laughs) yeah and things but Overall, it did avoid um, the sort of classic uh, Lara is a sexy chick with guns. So it it really did a good job with reimagining the character for film from the Angelina Jolie version. It is Mm -hmm. a shame that the rest of the film is still kind of not much better than the plots of, you know, those two movies. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. But there we go. Yeah. So that's Tomb Raider. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us what you thought of Tomb Raider mm-hmm. uh, and everything, and all the other films. Um, yeah, I a- think... any films, any films you like, just yeah, or films you want us to argue the toss about. In yeah. fact, that would be good too. Yep. Anything yep. we've missed that we need to needs arguing about. Mm-hmm. Oh. And yeah, chat <laughs> to us on. We're on Twitter at Argue the Cast, Libsyn, SoundCloud, iTunes, and you can of course find us on GameIndustry.com. Yeah, yeah. And there we are. Come chat to us. Yeah, we like it. We do. (laughs) So until next time, Drew. 
Cheerio.